This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Growing up in apartheid South Africa, Nasipo Maketo van den Brocht recognized that there was something off about the world around her. But it wasn't until her family moved to Zimbabwe at the age of 10 that she saw what life could really be like. Becoming a lawyer was an act of rebellion, a way of fighting for herself and for her community. But it was the creation of Chocolate Tribe, the studio that she founded with her husband, that has fully visualized Nasipo's vision of a better world. One that is equal, open, vibrant, and creative. We recently had the opportunity to speak with Nasipo about being a child in a household of active rebellion, the pressure of being a woman in a role of authority, and the importance of making time for yourself. Here is our conversation with Nasipo Maketo Vandenbracht. So, Nasipa, I wanted to start by asking you about, you know, your time growing up in Johannesburg. Can you talk a little bit about being a kid in Johannesburg during apartheid of all times? Yeah, I mean, um, I must say, you know, when you're a child, um, what you focus on is really just the wonderful memories. Um, You know, you go on your personal experience. Um, You know, I come from a family of um, five, so mom and dad and three uh, kids, and I'm the middle child. And I've always wanted to be a performer. So I I, I kind of like thought I was quite great at singing and at dancing. So I always saw myself as being some sort of performer. And because of that, I think my childhood was fantastic in that way. But of course, you know, growing up in apartheid, there's this looming dark cloud over you. And as a child, you don't know what it is. You can sense that there's something wrong. Um, it's palpable, it's tangible, but you don't quite know what it is, you know. And so for me, in a way, it was in one regard quite a, an interesting childhood, but at the same time traumatizing, you know, because you see how adults react to things you you know you see the the separate benches the separate um you know entrances and um a kind of like dual world where you're not always sure where you belong i mean you do know where you belong but in your in your body and in your mind it doesn't make sense so but i must say what was fascinating about growing in soweto growing up in soweto is that soweto till now i mean still this day and age is this vibrant, trendy, energetic, groundbreaking space where a lot of the political leaders that we all know, the Desmond Tutus, the Mandelas, they come from, you know, Soweto, the musicians. Um, So for me, I had these um, great role models in one way, but also this kind of trauma where, as I said, it's this dark looming cloud in every, you know, kind of um, space. So, yeah, I, I can only best describe growing up in Soweto as living in kind of like a, a, a parallel universe in a dual space where you're happy as a child because that is how you deal with your trauma, but at the same time knowing that something is not quite right. And you know, you mentioned that you were always a bit of a performer. Yeah. When did you decide? Did you did you want to be? Did did you ever think I'm going to be a musician or an artist when I grow up? Was that was that a thought that you had, or did you have other goals? I I always thought I'd be a musician. I always thought I you know I was fantastic at singing. So I'd kind of you know literally um, capture my audience and make them sit down and you know sing the best way I could. Um, and I you know I, I suppose I quickly realized that they were just kind of indulging me. And <laughs> in time, I, I had to partly grow out of that um the other fascinations that i had i I was also a brownie so i don't know if you know the whole scout movement so i was a brownie and for me loved being in the outdoors um and loved um you know uh playing you know kung fu fights with my brother so i always felt that 
if if I, if I couldn't be a performer, I'd either be a um, you know a person that does something in the community through the Brownie movement, the Scout movement, and um, but yeah, it, it, I, I think because I was also quite uh, heavy into books, I loved reading. I quickly realized that 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 in a way should be a hobby, and um, and then maybe think of other things that I would have wanted to do. And so when did law become something that you were interested in? I think that was a an innate thing or a natural progression. Um, you know, when you grow up in an unjust um, environment um, and there's so many layers of injustice, um, it was not only just a racial thing, it was a gender thing. As a child, you know, back then, as a child, you had to be seen but not heard. And I think because of that, it kind of propelled me to becoming a lawyer or somebody in that space because I, I could tell that I had to do something about it. Um, and the other thing is my dad. My dad was um, a legal clerk, which is a scribe. You know, he used to be the guy writing all the, the notes when the attorneys came from court. And he'd come home and regale us with the stories of what happened at the office. And I was just so drawn and fascinated by that world that I was like, I absolutely have to become, um, you know, an attorney. Um, Part of it really, Marina, is, is the fact that personally, I also, like many people of color, wanted to escape that systemic poverty And I say systemic poverty because both my parents were educated. So my mom was a nurse, my dad, a, you know, a a legal clerk. So it wasn't as though we were poor because we didn't have some level of education. It was because the system had impoverished us and it kind of relegated us to, you know, um, areas where it wasn't desirable to live in those areas. So for me, I wanted to break through that. You know, I wanted to change the narrative of being trapped in a space that is not ideal, that is not humane, that doesn't validate who you are as a sentient being. And law really, as I said, was such a natural path. Um, um, and I feel it was also that, that that element of being an advocate. You know, I, I always felt like I, I would advocate for that kid that was being bullied in the schoolyard or that was being teased unfairly and I'd be the one to speak up. So... Yeah, I think law just felt like it was the right place to be. And yeah. I think that's so fascinating that early on you realized that you wanted to make a change that wasn't just for you, but for the community at large. Um, Is this something that, you know, your other siblings also considered? Or were you the only one that kind of followed that path? So my younger sister wanted to actually become an attorney, but because I became an attorney, she was like, oh, no, you know, um, that's already taken. I'd rather do something else. So I effectively I'm the only one that's an attorney in the in the family, um, besides my dad, who, you know, is a um, um, when he was working, you know, he was a. For judges registrar. So I'm effectively the only one who's an attorney at home, but uh, it doesn't mean that the rest of my family isn't in, you know, um, invested in community work. Um, that is also the thing that kind of binds us to make sure that we contribute to our communities and to our societies. And part of the reason why you know, there was a level of trauma in in in, in my um, um, childhood was that my dad would constantly disappear. And I remember as a kid asking, you know, where, where's dad? You know, he goes off for these three, four months and we don't know where he is. And only when I was in my 20s was I told that, you know, he was either in prison, you know, in, in the apartheid prison. And so, from that time, it was just it wasn't just me who thought of the path of of um you know being community engaged my 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 parents were also involved and um yeah so i i I'm not the only one who's sort of like in a in a space that is in service of others or in advocacy for others that's that's so amazing and so touching and and, and it speaks to your um commitment to the community and to 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 staying in Johannesburg and, and working to make 
this place better. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, the, the change, like once apartheid yeah. slowly started disappearing, right. um, how did that change how you move through the world? So when I was 10 years old, Marina, we actually, because my dad was in and out, you know, we moved to, to Zimbabwe, which is part of um, literally the next door country. And again, for me, that was an interesting experience because it was a country that was already independent, um, you know, in, in the school that I went, I would sit next to a, a, a you know, a white person, an Indian person, it was very multicultural, and quite a jarring experience coming from a an apartheid very strong um apartheid um you know, um, um, country, and then going to another one where it was completely independent. Um, women were, were were doing jobs where in South Africa, for example, they weren't doing. So for me, it it, it opened up another world where I was like, wow, is this what's happening in other parts of the world? And so. There was yet another, you know, journey that I went through and how I then, you know, came into in, into this space. Sorry, Marina, I've just forgotten the question, actually. I, I know that was leading to something. So um, can you just repeat that part, please? Yeah, no, the, about the change in the world, like once apartheid is gone, how that okay. affected how you moved to the world. Yes, absolutely. So part of that, um, you know, living in another country, uh, connected me with a different, um, you know, uh, part of what was what was happening in in Africa, um, and so because of that, I was able to to not feel like I was being trapped in in a in a system that was not. Um, you know, ideal, that was unjust. And so that helped me balance my view of the world, you know, and I think it was quite an informative experience because it also was informative in terms of education because now you were able to freely learn without feeling that the police will come or um, school may be stopped or you can only do certain co um, courses or um, certain uh, subjects. So there was there was a, a freeness at that time and there was this sense of um, self-actualization and the world became bigger you know so that has also had a, a great impact in how I see the world and my desire to make sure that other people younger people have open opportunities because I've had kind of like both experience of living in an oppressive um, you know state and one that wasn't and what that does to you as a human being what that does to you as a young person your aspirations your goals your self-belief and just your integrity so yeah I think that was a very important um you know, experience um, that that changed my my life. You know, did you go back to? Were you in in, um, in Zimbabwe for a long time, or did you go back to to Johannesburg? You know, fairly soon after that. So I stayed in in Zimbabwe for about eight years. I arrived when I was ten years old. So um, I um, left um, when I was eighteen and went back to South Africa, and. Back then, it was then post-apartheid. I think that was 93, 94. In fact, I was so elated to be one of those people that voted for the first, you know, independent um, post-apartheid um, elections. I was in those queues. I was a 19... Yeah, 19, 18 year old um, voting for the first time in a post-apartheid um you know, South Africa. So, but just because things changed in terms of the political dispensation didn't mean that there was a change in people's attitudes, in, um, you know, the, the opportunities that were available for black people or people of color. So I once again felt that I was reverting back to you know, um, a state of, of, of uncertainty. You know, I, I don't want to make it sound like post-apartheid, there weren't changes. There were, but you could tell that there were 
there was a lot of resistance. There was a lot of uh, pushback. Um, and so, again, one, you know, goes through those stages where you're trying to figure out is is this a, a you know, a trauma revisited from when you were a child? And, and, and I guess to make things more complicated at this point, you know, you've already seen what the world can be like. So yes. you have that other that other innate feeling that, you know, things could be better than they are now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is what was jarring as well and enraging, as you know, in some sense, because you know better. You know, you know better. You know that the the, the opportunities are there, the, um, the conversations are there. Um, and yet those conversations and those opportunities uh, are being blocked and the system is just being um, pushed to work for one side. So I think it, it also re-educated me um, and propelled me back into that space of wanting to be an activist one way or another. I see law for me, and one of the reasons why I, I, I went into law was because I see it as a form of activism, uh, activism you know, advocacy, um, fighting for those things you 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 want changed from an intellectual perspective, because yet again, here's another way of showcasing how you can narrative change. You know, uh, black people, women, young people are often excluded from intellectual conversations or intellectual pursuits. Certainly, as a as a black woman. Growing up in, 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 in Soweto and in Zim, the aspiration that was kind of put before me or the choices were you either become a teacher or a nurse or a domestic worker. And so for me, becoming a lawyer was an act of defiance to say, no, thank you. Um, that's not the only thing that I, you know, I see in my um in my horizon, um, there are other opportunities. And um, and I guess as well, it opened up the idea that I, I'm not just one thing, as in just an attorney. I could still be that performer. You know, I could still be the other things that, um, you know, are, are kind of hidden and um, not put on, on the plate of offering. Um. When you finally decided that you were going to go into law, it seems like this was something that was very, you were very keenly aware that you wanted to make a difference. I'm curious yeah. if there was ever a thought of leaving to become a lawyer, um, to make your, make life easier for yourself, to go to school somewhere else where it would be more acceptable, or was it important to you to, to stay in South Africa and, and do all of your training there? I think for me, South Africa for me is, it, it, it's it's a, a heart, um, it's it's a place where the heart is, and so as much as I have you know been educated elsewhere, I've always come back to South Africa. So it was very important for me to be educated in South Africa because the opportunities are there for you know that level of education, um, and I think it was also about being. Im imbibed or involved in that environment that that first caused my my indignation and um I joined law school and I still saw the same kind of, um, you know, injustice in, in, in small ways or even um, uh, microaggressions per se or biases where, for example, um, a lot of the, 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 the black students would sit on one side and it, it just happened almost automatically. It was a weird thing. It was like a social experiment where we all walk in using the same two doors, but each person files to the left um, who is black and each person who is white files to, to the right. And for me, uh, apartheid was this experiment that still lives with us in our mind because even currently in South Africa, you still see those dynamics. So to, to go back to your question, certainly I wanted to study here in South Africa because for me, the, the, the place that caused my indignation, my sense of, um, you know, purpose as well is here. You know, I'm rooted here. This is where my, my, my love and my traumas are. And I feel like I need to resolve them here and 
will come full circle in doing so by being grounded here in South Africa and in Johannesburg. So, okay, you go to law school, you become a lawyer, you work as a lawyer for a couple of years. Right. And then I, I, I'm curious about this, this change, this move into, um, you know, animation and visual effects, because even right. though, you know, you're into performing, that yes. doesn't seem like the next natural progression of your career. What happened? <laughs> Um, you know, I always think that life teaches you the things that you refuse to learn, you know. And so um, the first thing that changed in my life was in my 20s and in my kind of like uh, political awakening, I met a, a boy and he was from Holland. And here we are in in post-apartheid South Africa. And we're trying to navigate this thing called a relationship between a black girl and a white boy. And we are we are trapped in, in you know in these dynamics. And eventually, long and short story, we get married, we move to the UK, we have a couple of kids, and he is an animation um, supervisor, VFX supervisor, has worked for different um, international studios. And here I am as a um, you know master's law student, very analytical, logical, he's the creative type and you know, spontaneous and all of that. And that fascinates me. And I think it speaks to that part of me that's always wanted to tap into my creativity, that wanted to tap into my, uh, you know, my performing side, but that that was shut down. And so um, we then, you know, made this decision that we wanted to come back to South Africa. This was 2011. We now had three kids. We have responsibilities and we're trying to think, what is the best way to house all our aspirations, both our aspirations, me being this analytical, analytical person, logical, wordy, you know, I, 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 I express my creativity through words and he expresses his creativity through, you know, pictures and colors and all of that. And we just thought we wanted to create a, um, a home, for both of us um, to actualize all the things that we we feel and we want to express. We then came up with um, Chocolate Tribe VFX um, Animation and VFX Studio based here in Johannesburg, South Africa. And really, just maybe to even talk about the name Chocolate Tribe, uh, I've never met anyone who hates chocolate, so part of the reason we called it chocolate. The other reason is because people assume when you say chocolate, it's you know, brown, um, but chocolate is also creamy and white, and it's assorted. It's got different things in there, and uh, and for us that was a a um, is it an allegory or a um, um, a fitting? Uh, I forget the the right word. You know, um, symbolism really of of what we thought of. You know, the relationship, um, how we we see each other and how we see the world. But I think also the word tribe for us um, is very connected to family, to togetherness, to empathy, to collective and working together. So that is how we, you know, started this studio because it was supposed to be a home for the people who are diverse, who are multicultural, who come from, you know, different walks of life and can feel accepted and, you know, express their their, their best self in creativity. Was there any, was there at any point any sort of um, concern that you might not be able to get this off the ground in South Africa? Like, did you know that there would be talent there that you could pull from? Or or was there ever a bit of a fear that, oh, we may not have enough people to do this? Yes, I mean, absolutely. And that's a constant worry. I'm not going to lie to you. That is a constant um, thing that wakes us up at night. Um, but I, I mean, I must go back to the, the fact that when we started it, you like when you start a business, uh, Marina. You know, you 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 have sleepless nights because now you have at least ten, fifteen people who rely on you. You've got families. You you, so it is an onerous and a huge undertaking. So, firstly, we we had a lot of those um, sleepless nights, but I think 
um, Rob and I have always had this um, chutzpah, this 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 thing that we will give it our best shot. We will do the the work that needs to be done. We will, um, you know, go as far as needs be. And if if it's not the talent, it will be the motivation and the the desire to make this succeed. And I. You know what, what? What constantly motivates us as well is being in South Africa. South Africa is very vibrant. It's got its problems and issues. And you know, one minute you you are you know excited that we're going in the right direction, and the next minute you are like you know pulling your hair out because you're like, what is happening to us as a country or as a people, as a continent? But in that same sort of dynamic. We feel that there's so much talent in this country. You know, there is so much untapped um, 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 human resources or you know um, human capital. Where if we don't if we don't take the responsibility or the step to open those doors and get those people in and give them an opportunity to express that uh, creativity, um, that artistry we would have also failed. So again, for me, that advocacy to bring in, you know, um, um, creatives, but also to to usher in a different um, space that is not necessarily as always associated with South Africa or Africa. So certainly we had sleepless nights in terms of figuring how is this thing going to work you know is it going to be successful is it going to you know manifest in 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 what we see it as in our dreams and 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 um aspirations um but i think it's just that fortitude that thing of i want to be a uh, a change maker i want to leave a space better than what it was um when i got into it I think it's really fascinating because right from the get-go, the work that you guys were doing at Chocolate Tribe was different than you might expect from a, a budding studio that, you know, yeah. may need to take jobs because you like, like you say, now you're responsible for all of these other people. You need to pay bills. But yes. from, from the get-go, you guys were, were, were selecting projects and working on projects that weren't just you know, pushing the envelope of the technology, yes. but also have a social message. Absolutely. How important was that? To, like to be able to, to to still work on on being creative, but in a way that was pushing the envelope socially. So that was very intentional. You know, that was a um, an intentional goal. We from the, you know, sitting down and putting together the business plan, one of the the, the key words that we constantly used was we wanted it to be a high-end studio. We didn't want to take... you know, stuff that we would not feel passionate about. We did not want to take, um, you know, projects that would not lend themselves for the kind of artistry um, we, we wanted to, to, to envelope that, that, um, that, that project with. So every project that we take, firstly, is twofold, really. The assessment that we make is, is this a, a project that we can do the best way we can? You know, is it going to deliver that vision? Is it going to be beautiful? Is it going to be aesthetically pleasing um, and technically sound, creatively, you know, superb? So that's the first aspect. The second aspect is really you know, does it speak to who we are? You know, we're very, Rob and I are very connected to um, our, our um, um, I want to say humanity, really, but uh, it, it's it's connected to our community. And so every job that we take, we want to make sure that it has the right message. Right now, we were working on a commercial for a, lo- a local super um, market, and it has to do with planet activism. So for us, you know, projects like that are so important because they speak to what is relevant in our world um, right now. We take projects that also speak to, you know, um, gender parity uh, or, or, or gender diversity in the, in the workplace in one way or another. You know, when the projects come to us, we don't always 
are you know are the ones that write the script for them but in our own creative way we try and ensure that they speak to the messages that are important to us which is you know we've got to live in a in a just world we've got to love our planet um we've got to be empathetic to each other so there's certain projects that we don't take even though the money may be good but they don't speak to our you know our aspirations or our vision as a company and i think that the work you know after you've been around for a couple of years which you now have been the work mm-hmm. starts to speak for itself and it starts to attract the kind of companies and the kind of projects that you want to work on right absolutely um and i and, and i think it just becomes this um self um and in a positive way almost like a self fulfilling prophecy so um and certainly our clients know that there's certain work that they they can't bring to us because that is not our you know cup of tea and uh we've for the past sort of um 4 or 5 years we've consistently got the same clients so we've got return clients and they bring new clients who understand our mantra really and who understand our philosophy and our work ethic and what we can do for a a, a project technically creatively but ethically as well for me the ethically the ethical part of it is really quintessential um i want to be able to look at the work years on and say i'm proud that we we did that and it makes sense and you know you you you're not embarrassed um one way or another because it doesn't speak to your company values it doesn't speak to you know your creative values you know you work in a space that is largely male dominated and you're yep. leading a company in, in a field that is mostly men mostly yes. white men yes. um i'm curious about you know clearly activism and pushing forward and pushing the envelope is something mm. that you're very comfortable with but mm. you know how do you deal with that on a day-to-day basis i'm not going to lie it is it it is not easy uh um Marina because you're also working with a system you're not just working mm-hmm. with people you're working with a system so it has been one of um, my key roles my my role at, at chocolate tribe is 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 also a strategic role in making sure that i i bring in women um i bring in uh people of color and i bring in young people lgbtq plus uh, because the vision really is to create that diverse um space the challenges as i said are quite systemic because and and systemic not in a in a visible way you know the systems that are entrenched by patriarchy you know are so invisible that sometimes even as a woman by the way you find yourself trapped in that so i'm constantly also self you know correcting and self um you know uh, becoming uh, being self aware in not being the um what do they call it there's a syndrome where you you know you're the only one you know you want to be the only girl in the group or the only person of color so i constantly have to also make sure that i guard against that um you know that attitude and even the people that we hire so one of the key um aspects of you know the question that you are asking being in a male dominated um environment is that i've looked at our hiring um you know um the way that our hiring methods um and where there might be block um you know blockages for for people of color or for women and one thing that um i know we we have a mutual uh, friend jinko and she said to me the reason why sometimes women don't want to work in in organizations is because if they don't see other women they they are not comfortable with that environment so i've made it a, a a policy that we've got to um for every you know a guy that we 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 hire we've got to have two women that come in because we want to make sure that women also feel comfortable and they don't feel either harassed at work or under you know made to feel like they don't perform as 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 um highly or as competently as men so i'm creating structures that are visible and i'm speaking it to to the company as well because here's the other thing right um i i can give you an example when i started speaking about 
the 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 whole notion of of getting more and more people of color there was a lot of backlash you know they are not educated they do not have the skills we don't have um, enough women um, women after a while want to leave the job because they want to have kids you know so there were there was a whole you know list of um the reasons why women can't do this women can or people of color you know and all those reasons in some instances sound cogent you know they sound correct they sound like yes they you know reasonable but if you break and crack this egg you'll find out a lot of it has to do with people feeling um um a, a sense of um you know their privilege being taken away as men um their space is being you know inundated by people that they don't necessarily feel comfortable with you know so we were having a lot of those conversations. We are nowhere near the the end of it. It's a constant um, push and pull, um, and particularly in South Africa because we come from that um, environment where power resides in one uh, in one group, and so you see it at work that um, even as a woman, sometimes other women disrespect me because they don't expect me to be, you know, the person who's leading a, an animation and VFX studio and would rather listen to the, my male counterpart, you know. So there are a lot of little systems and little um, 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 webs that are intertwined in making this system intractable sometimes and so what I'm trying to do at Chocolate Tribe is to break it down piece by piece and, and allowing my um, my women, um, um, I want to say comrades, to, to, to come in and help me dismantle all these systems. Yeah, I'm glad that you speak about, you know, how actively Chocolate Tribe is, you know, attracting women and minorities because I think it's important for other companies to realize that it can be done. The, yes. It just needs to come from the top. Like somebody has to stand up and say, this is what we're doing to make the change. And yes. I'm wondering, you know, you've done that, your part, and, and you're clearly keeping the company moving in the direction that you want it to. I'm yes. curious about, you know, on a on a day-to-day basis at the studio, what other things are in place to, to, to help build that sense of community and that sense of we are a tribe? So, I mean, I think some things are little things, um, like, for example, we meet every every Monday and have debriefs with each other. Um, we have, like, um, uh, team building exercises where, you know, we will either do movie night or go for a run together, um, you know, and, and we, we create an environment where it's an open environment for anybody to come into anyone's office um, and speak about what it is that they want to, you know, um, unpack. So it's in those small things, um, but it's also the bigger things, you know, it's the other bigger structural things where we're trying to make sure that we, we delegate more, we give responsibility so people feel a sense of responsibility to the tribe um, and they don't feel like the tribe is only there to buffer and protect them, but they also have to give back to the tribe and, and make it a bigger space and a bigger circle. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship relationship it's a mutual um, 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 relationship where as a company you know we we, we, are, we are also invested in things like mental health we're building that up as well to make sure that people don't feel and creatives are, are, are quite um, um, you know they they they're emotional people and not in a bad way you know it's a it's a good thing to be an emotional person because really that's how we tap into your you tap into your creativity and all of that so we make sure that um, from the bottom up, so from things like um, um, being able to speak to your supervisor um, at every turn, that is kind of fostered as, as part of the, the the daily relationship. Being able to 
um, also create things on your own and 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 bring them to the the group creates that openness as well so for us the tribe mentality is really really key we don't always get it right marina won't lie you know as you know running a company and a company that has human beings who have feelings and um their own perspective their own way of doing things and as we grow i see sometimes you know little moments of disjoint and then we have to come back to the, the 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 tribe vision to say guys the reason why we are here is because we want to do fantastic work together we want to be um you know uh, a, 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 an example of a company in south africa that can and in africa and globally that can hit you know things out of the ballpark so it doesn't help to work from a, a premise of being an individual so it's in little ways that we do it and in also bigger structural ways mhm and i think it's really important you know you mentioned that sometimes you stumble and that's just mm-hmm. the reality of life like you say That's it's so we're all human everybody makes mistakes you just yes. you learn you pick yourself up you learn from it and you move on that's it that's it that's it and i mean i'm i'm very open to speak about that because a lot of people think when you're a business owner they you know we we've got youth for example and um i see it in in the young interns that we get in where it's it's that uh, idea that at 20 something you've got it all covered you know everything you've got money you're a billionaire and all of that and i dismantle that idea because what i'm trying to um to share and to show is that you've got to start from the ground up you, you need to work this thing and for it to be worth something you need to have built on it you know and so making mistakes is actually a, a good thing you learn from those mistakes you know and it, it's important for company owners uh, people who are in positions of um authority or power for them to 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 be vulnerable about the challenges that they have because really it 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 doesn't help anybody to pretend that everything is hunky dory you know what you're doing sometimes we don't sometimes we're figuring this thing out you know we are peeling this onion one by one and um not getting the results that we want in some instances in some instances it's it's brilliant and uh and it's just about being committed to the journey um of self and the journey of um just being honest um so yeah i i just want to you know mention that often you know people think when you are in 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 this in this in in this business or any other business you've got it all figured out it's tied in a bow it works and they they don't understand that sometimes there's so much uh behind the scenes that 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 is is orchestrated to make this front part of it look beautiful seamless uh, unchallenging um and and that isn't the case you know we're talking about challenges and um one of the things that strikes me is as you're trying to build this tribe at the studio and you mm. know a, a sense of togetherness and community how mm. did the pandemic affect being able to to keep that 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 connection with your employees because it seems very important mm-hmm. to have that teamwork mentality and to be able to you know walk down the hall and speak to someone but mm-hmm. you know how has how has the the dynamic the, the shift of the pandemic affected how you guys communicate and how you deal with that Mm-hmm. I mean here in South Africa we we say sure you know when something is 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 either shocking or um you know uh, uh, outlandish so what i can say is the pandemic has had such a, a huge um impact i mean i'm not going to talk about the business aspect of it because i think that is you know um uh, you know obvious it, it, the connection that you talk about between you know the studio and the employees and us as a tribe was was hugely challenged i mean firstly the whole thing of working online um we were still all trying to figure it out lucky we were very lucky in one way because our very first um job that we did was actually with a an overseas um company the the job that we did called robot and scarecrow and we were working with a uk company so we early on learned um how to work remotely per se so for us it wasn't 
it, it was challenging, but it, it wasn't as bad as, you know, when you all work in-house and are used to that kind of like um, face-to-face dynamic. So on a technical aspect, we were quite ready. I think it was more the emotional human connection where we started to see, you know, uh, fractures. Because if you remember, COVID affected people mentally, uh, Marina, you know, so even the motivation of employees, we all didn't know what would happen. For for us, the very first lockdown was, um, I think it was a good two, three months, and it kept being extended and extended. And there was that disconnect between you know, um, the, 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 the tribe members and, and us as the company owners and people started feeling a bit like what is going to happen to us? How are we going to get back to, you know, being a community sitting in one studio working together? So there were moments of fracture. And again, because our ethos, um, is really to make sure that we go back to that North star, um, being, we need to stay true to our vision, which is we want to create technically, um, aesthetically beautiful work, and at the same time, you know, work together in a in a in a ethically um, uh, proper way. So that kept us together in always coming back to why we are together as a tribe. Are you guys back in the studio now? Fully. Fully. So we are all back in studio. We've been back since, um, I think, twenty early 2021. In fact, we, yeah, literally end of December 2020. Um, that was sort of like the, the, the last, um, the, the last time that um, the team was working remotely. When we started in January 2021, we all came back. We're very um, fortunate that we've got quite a, a big space. So we were able to kind of like social distance. We're able to see each other. Um, people will take lunch breaks in, in different areas of the studio. So that has also helped us that, you know, in terms of um, spatial planning, we are together but separately in a, in a way. And we continue to, to, to do that because um, we want to make sure that everyone is safe and, um, um, and yeah, and happy. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about creativity because, you know, sure. we've talked a lot about being creative and how you yourself have a creative streak as well. Right. How do you keep that streak alive? Like, how do you personally stay um, creative and and motivated? I think there's a level of innate creativity that we all have, by the way. I think everybody is creative. And um, I was listening to a, a talk um, by Ken Robinson, and he was talking about, you know, um, children um, are, are sort of taught out of creativity. And I, and I believe that. I'm a firm believer that all of us are, are creative beings uh, and sentient beings in that creativity. And so... For me, how I keep it alive, I think the question really is that in the runnings of, of, of the business, being a manager, looking at the analytical aspect and the logical aspect, how do I, you know, um, come back to the creativity? And it's it's so important for me because that's what keeps me alive and excited. And I do that in several ways that every single day I want to do something that is creatively um, so I listen to music, for example. I connect to to to, to music. Um, I besides this, you know, um, studio that I run, we also have um, a little shop that creates, um, you know, clothes that are made out of African fabric. So I will design um, once every week in that way. Um, and what I've also picked up, my kids are also quite creative. One plays the piano, so you know, we'll have a session where I'm listening to the piano sessions i'm constantly 
uh, imbibing myself in in things that are create are creative because I, I do think they kind of like create an, elate, an elation in your spirit and lift you up when you know not everything is going well. Um, so I'm I'm hugely connected to my creative side and I feel like that's the side that's the inner child to some extent that needs to be fed ever so often. And, and I, I assume that that also. Um, uh, it, it needs to be fed, but it also feeds you, right? I mean, it keeps you going, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I was going to ask about this clothing line because I, I did see that and I thought, well, that's very, very interesting. Um, can you talk a little bit about this new project? I, I think one thing that we haven't mentioned is that in addition to running the studio, I mean, you're still a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> you're doing these other things. Yes. It just, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. To, I don't know where you find the time. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, um, I, I must be honest with you that, um, you know, I take one or two briefs as and when I feel this is this is something that um, will keep my 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 legal skills also alive and, and, and that and that sharpness. So I'm, I'm not fully in practice anymore. Like I've, I've left that. Um, and, and, and also remember as the managing director of the company, I deal with all the legal aspect of it, the contracts. And um, so that, that kind of feeds that, that aspect of um, my legal, my legal side. And I will once in a while take on, you know, outside briefs because I do think I need to keep connected to that space. I need to understand what's happening in, in, in that space so that it also, um, feeds chocolate tribe. Um, you, you know, the, the one thing, Marina, I think for me, I, I've picked up just generally, most people think creative businesses are not businesses in a way. They see it almost as a hobby. I see it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a proper business that needs to be respected as such. And so uh, being an, an attorney benefits the business because I can then see what risks are, are coming our way, um, you know, whatever things that we need to kind of fend off. And um, so I continue being the attorney in the company, but also, um, as I said, once in a while, I, I take on briefs. But certainly it's not as much as I used to before because we just I, I just don't have you know, the luxury of time as I used to before, you know, before the business took on a lot more clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's become yeah. a bigger part of, of your career, right? It, it It's what you do now. Uh, you know, with so much on your plate and you talk about, you know, not having enough time, how do you manage your time? Like, do, do you, do you schedule everything? Do you, do you schedule time for yourself? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, managing through your calendars and managing the work-life balance? Uh, that's, that's like such a, um, a, a juggling act. I won't lie. Um, so, I've, as you know, I recently got a PA because I needed somebody to help me with that. Um, but, but I think for me, balance is work-life balance is very important, and it's something that a lot of us, you know, sometimes um, uh, push push to the side. I do have quite a a great ecosystem that supports me. Um, I, you know, I've got a couple of women around me who who manage the things that I can't. So for the longest time, I would still pick up my kids from school. Uh, at a certain point, my calendar would indicate at 1.30 to 2, Nossi is not available. She has to go pick up her kids. So everything is calendarized, uh, diarized, because that is the only way I can sort of focus on how to get through everything that needs to be done. So I'd certainly advocate for women, you know, who are, in this business or in this situation or similar situations that, uh, you know, having a, a great ecosystem or a great support structure is important. You know, people who, 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 who also see that you're struggling with certain things and can step in and, and help you. Um, often when I'm unable to pick up, there's one parent who will jump in and say, sure, you go for that meeting, you go for that talk, I will cover you. Um, and then I've also got, you know, my PA who assists me with all these other things that, um, you know, you know, take up a little bit of, 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 of my time. So it is about having a, a solid support structure. It is also about saying, 
you're struggling if you are struggling, you know, and not um, have this attitude that you are superwoman um, because that is where we also see, you know, women um, cracking or, in fact, not just women. I just think everybody, if there's just too much on your plate, it, it, it will fall apart. And I do um, schedule an hour for just self-reflection and just moments of pause. Um, even my kids know this, that the door will be closed. I, I just need, you know, a good 30 to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour to just be silent and quiet and digest what's happened um, during the day. Um, how do I figure things out and how do I untangle things that have kind of, you know, um, um, you know, have, 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 have become disjointed. So I, I really think it is about, you know, that self-care and self-love and just self-acknowledgement and awareness that I also need time away from my partner, away from my, my children, um, and just to be on my own. So I do schedule that in as part of my daily routine. I think that is so important and we don't talk about that enough. The fact that we need a moment to recharge. Everybody needs that, that time apart. What does that recharging look like? You talk a little bit about, you know, sitting in silence. Do you, do you meditate? Do you write things down? Do you diarize? What, what does that look like for you? So for me, it's really just um, shutting down. I have moments sometimes when I write things, especially I think in in, in um, times of, of huge stress, I, I, I need to write it down so that I can see it on paper and I can, because I am a logical and quite an analytical person. So for me, it's about breaking the puzzle apart and then putting it back together. So sometimes I will write things down. But for the most part, Marina, it's just, you know, sitting in silence and acknowledging everything that's happened. I I, I find that, um, you know, sometimes you are in a state of imbalance or in a state of, of flux and, and off kilter because I think you also haven't acknowledged what it is that has pushed you off, you know, the ledge. So for me, in, in, in that hour, in that 30 minutes, it's, it's figuring out what is it that has caused my imbalance? Can I identify it? Can I then, you know, do something about it? If I can't, can I let it go? Um, so I go through those processes and I talk a lot to myself. I'll tell you that I, um, if, if I've got something that is on my mind that is bothering me, I, I, I am my, my best friend where I need to have that, that, that self-counseling and back and forth and figuring it out on my own. And then I'm able to emerge, you know, um, into the world, a better person, one who's listening and one who's focused because I've dealt with what I needed to deal with on my own. That's amazing. I, I haven't asked you about this. Now, it just dawned on me that, you know, you also work with your husband. I do. <laughs> is, 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 that, is it hard to come home? Like you, you work with him during the day, yeah. you come home and he's at home with you. How do you guys, like as a couple, like do you come home and, and that's kind of like where you stop talking about work? Do you have that sort of divide where at some point work is something that you leave at the office? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I must say from the beginning, we, 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 we didn't think we could work together uh, because we're both quite big personalities in one way. And so we always were like, no, it won't, you know, it, yeah, yeah, I mean, you have too many opinions and this and that and the other. But I think, as I said before, when we, we, we decided to kind of like think of the vision of creating this home for our, our, our expression of, of, of our um, aspirations as a couple, we, we decided that, okay, we are going to actively make sure that when we're at the office, we are partners, you know, we are um, looking out for each other and we are um, protecting each other. We, and, and I, and I think from a, a business perspective, 
you will show love to your partner that you work with, not in the sort of like normal way, but it will be in the way to make sure that what the goal that you guys have set together is being met. So that is one of the things that we do. We make sure that we are very focused on the goals um, 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 at the company. But once we, we leave the company, and it's a tough one, uh, I'm, going, I'm not going to pretend that we do it well. Um, often we will take the work home and we will be talking about, you know, what went wrong, what went right, what we're excited about. And sometimes it's our kids who'll be like, um, I think chocolate tribe time is over now. Please, can we talk about other things? So, um, we, we, we try, but it isn't easy. I think when you work together, your, your, your work life balance is kind of intertwined. You are so connected to what happens. And remember chocolate tribe for both of us is our other child. You know, it's our, it's our baby. It's what we, we, we created. And so sometimes it really isn't easy to, to pull away from it. And, but we, we, we're trying to schedule date night and on date night, we try not to speak about chocolate tribe or the kids. It's very hard. (laughs) So uh, we have to make an active, uh, you know, decision to say, okay, I think we've had 10 minutes about chocolate tribe, 20 minutes for the kids. Now can we just talk about you and I, you know, so not an easy one, but we, we certainly try to do that. That's amazing. Uh, you know, you mentioned your kids and I'm curious because they're clearly growing up in a world that's very different than the one you grew up in. Yes. But it seems to me like the foundation is the same. You know, you had your parents who were quietly advocating for a different world, then you're maybe a little more openly advocating for a different world. How important, how important is it for them to know, you know, how things were and how they're different and how they can be even more different still? Oh, it's it's very important. I'll tell you, when we came back to South Africa in 2011, one of the first trips we took um, wasn't just to Soweto, where I grew up, and I showed them my home. You know, it still stands exactly the way it was when I was a kid. In fact, it's got, um, you know, um, um, kind of like extension rooms at the back that, they, you know, the people that are living there have made. But for the most part, it's still the same house. So I showed them where I grew up. And and that for me was almost like a pilgrimage for them to um, undergo or to 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 go to. The second thing that we did was to take them to the apartheid um, the apartheid museum. So, which is an interesting experience in itself because how they've um, curated it is you've got the left side or the right side where it's only blacks and only whites going, and and what they've tried to do is make you experience how the other experienced life um, during um, apartheid. So we took them to that. And it was quite a traumatic thing, I must say, you know, because they are mixed race kids and they often don't know you know, where they belong in a way. They don't know if they they, 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 they should say something for this one or against that. And we're, cre- and we're trying to create a space for them where they are individuals, firstly. And then secondly, they are also en- encompassing or taking on that humanity uh, without, without color lines. Um, we took them to the Peter... Hectorson Museum, which um, was the museum that was put together after the 1976 um, Soweto uprisings. And even that in itself was, you know, quite a, a, a traumatic and it's based in Soweto. So you go right into the communities that experience this trauma. And um, so we, we, we and we speak a lot about um, these things. We speak a lot about, you know, the racial dynamics in South Africa. We speak about gender um, issues. We, we speak about LGBTQ uh, communities. We speak about the planet because for me, I think you cannot, um, you, you may well be a parent that, that gives your, your kids um, 
the fancy clothes and all of those things. But I certainly would want my kids to have the knowledge that will ground them um, tomorrow and so that they are better leaders, they are advocates for a better um, life for themselves. So I think for us it was very important um, for them to go through those experiences and go to the different places where, you know, I grew up where their grandparents um you know, grew up and seen it, um, you know, on their own rather than read it in books or hear it from a teacher at school. So um, quite a, a, an important lesson for our kids. You know, speaking about the future, what what do you see as the future for both yourself and the studio as a whole? Oh, that's a, an awesome question. Um, I see a bright future. Um, and I think for me, uh, Marina, I'm so humbled. I'll tell you that I'm so humbled that I'm in the position that I am in. Um, and so all I'd want to do is to continue advocating and mentoring young people, people of color, women. And so that is, you know, kind of like the future I'd, 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 um, want to propel myself into making sure that um, we are doing this work of including others and we are breaking our breaking down barriers that exclude, um, you know, uh, minorities or, or, or people who might not feel that they belong in one space. So I certainly see the future uh, bright in that way. And I continue that that fight in my, in my own small way, making sure that we're hiring um, the right way. We are also speaking the right uh, um, or messaging or sending out the right messaging. And I think for the studio... It's it's that um, pushing of excellence, you know. It is making sure that we're creating an ethical space for creatives to to love and to feel nurtured and feel that their creative expression is being validated and valued, and they're growing in their careers and becoming who they 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 aspire to be, and hopefully that ripple effect will create more studios with women. Uh, women of color will create more studios of ethically minded, um, um, uh, dare I say, business people. So I think the future is certainly uh, a, a bright one. We just need to constantly be doing the work and not thinking it's someone else's um, job to do that. If you could tell young Nasipa one thing, when, like, if you could look back and 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 tell yourself something uh, that would maybe help you in your life as you moved through it when you were younger, what would that piece of advice be? Wow, um, yo, this question is is really um, a brilliant one. What would I tell a younger me? I think um, I would tell myself to to focus on. Um, on 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 the goals that will, you know, bring change and will bring um, a a better place for 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 others. And I would tell myself not to lack confidence in that because I know, you know, I'm 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 now in my forties. So at twenty, I was not confident in. I I, I had self belief, but. I was not confident I could be who I needed to be. So I would tell myself, it's okay. It's a work in progress. Do not be hard on yourself. Just keep at it, you know, keep walking um, um, the, the, the journey, keep pushing. And um, yeah, and I think laugh a lot more, um, do a lot more fun stuff. I would tell myself, to travel a lot more. So, uh, and knowing what we know now with the whole COVID situation, I think one of the things I, I would have loved to do uh, and would still love to do going forward is to travel. So it, it's really just be confident and believe in, in, in your inner self. And at the same time, travel more, love more, enjoy, you know, what life has to offer. And that was our conversation with Nosipo Maketo Vandenbrot. 
You can find out more about Nasipo and the work that Chocolate Tribe is doing at chocolatetribe.co.za. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.